Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. I am Drew here as usual with Josh and Connor. Josh, how has your week been? How was it for you this week? It was pretty good. Lots more soccer again this week, even though we uh, just spoke on last Wednesday. So it's been really fun to sit back and relax as much as possible watching soccer. And had a good Father's Day with my family yesterday. So uh, overall, pretty good week. Yeah, I'm doing well as well. Uh, nice weather in Canada. We're up in the 30s again, so it's feeling good. Um, again, good Father's Day. Socially distanced visit with my grandparents which was good um but yeah watching a lot of soccer drew how are you doing i am doing wonderful as we're gonna get into when we talk about our european soccer weekend i had the best weekend imaginable i think from a european soccer perspective but today as we will get in later soccer kind of just like ruined my day um, with some pretty breaking news. So I'm today's been it's been a whirlwind, but it came off a solid weekend. Like you guys both said, good Father's Day. Got to watch some Premier League. Um, Liverpool didn't win the title this week, so we're pushing that off a week later, which is always a great thing to avoid as much as possible, even though it's going to happen. So I had a pretty solid week, but today, as we're going to get into in a minute, um, roughed it up a little bit. But yeah, like I said, European soccer, um, really good weekend for the Americans. Um, but before we get into the American players, we'll get into an American coach, Pellegrino Matarazzo with Stuttgart um, in the second division of the Bundesliga in Germany. Uh, he took over in Stuttgart in December, and it's looking like he's going to get promoted. He's going to take Stuttgart to the Bundesliga. Um, they haven't officially clinched it, but they're three points ahead of that third place spot and with a plus an 11 goal differential over the third place team. So it looks like they secured promotion, which is really good. Um, It's always good to see American coaches doing well in their positions. But getting into players, we had Gio Reyna starting for Dortmund, and he didn't get hurt. That was wonderful. And not only did he not get hurt, he did really well on um, Holland's first goal. He set him up pretty well. Um, Did either of you guys get to watch that Dortmund game and watch him play at all? I didn't catch the game. I did see his assist, which was wonderful. It was very. It was a very mature first touch from him to get the ball to Holland as fast as he did. So, for a seventeen-year-old, things are looking really good. And 
I can't remember where I saw it, but I think uh, comparable to Christian Pulisic, his stats are already better for his age. So that's really, really promising. And uh, uh, it was good for him to finally get that first start. He, he's got that out of the way. And he really capitalized with his opportunity. So good for Gio Reyna. Hopefully it leads to some really good things next season uh, when he gets a, a full thing under his belt. Yeah, for sure. Dortmund beat uh, Red Bull Leipzig 2 nothing to clinch a Champions League spot. So even though Bayern Munich are running away with the title, um, a little bit of positive coming out of Dortmund in a CG arena. Get a start and an assist was really good. I didn't know. So I watched the game live, right? And I didn't know that it was Giorena who took that touch right before it fell to Holland. I was like, what are you doing, dude? Get out of the way. Holland's right there. But then afterwards, like, all right, cool. That's something we can talk about in the podcast. So I was a big fan. Um, but we'll, we'll, get, we'll get over to the champions, Bayern Munich. And before we get into Connor's Alfonso Davies, uh, Chris Richards, another young American, uh, made his Bayern Munich debut. It was in the 84th minute, so he didn't get a whole lot of playing time. But Bayern had a 3-1 win over Freiburg. Uh, doesn't really mean anything, champions. Um, but yeah, Josh, as an American soccer fan, watching all these young kids in the Bundesliga, what did you make of Chris Richards finally breaking into the 11 with Bayern Munich? You know, I, I think it's just a really big deal. He's really young. He's only 20. Um, I think, I can't remember when he transferred from FC Dallas. He's an FC Dallas um, product from their academy. Of course, never made a first team appearance for Dallas. So it was really cool that he got the opportunity to play for Bayern Munich to join them without even appearing in Dallas. That really speaks to his talent. Uh, he did appear with the U.S. U-20s last year at the U-20 World Cup. So he's another one of those young guys along with Richie Ledesma and Gio Reyna and Tyler Adams, Pulisic, all these really young players. So he's part of that next crop. So like you know, we just said with Gio Reyna, really important for him to get his first start. It was really important that Richards got his first appearance. And ideally, you know, that will lead to him getting his first start next year leading into some more minutes. And even if he doesn't star for Bayern Munich as a center back, there's always, you know, space for him in the Bundesliga. They could loan him out and give him a full season of lots of playing time with maybe a lower, maybe Stuttgart. Maybe he'll go play for Pellegrini uh, Matarazzo next year once they're promoted, you know, who knows. So that's obviously a really important first step for him and you know, that coupled with Reina's weekend and Matarazzo, and we'll get into some more American players in a second. It was just overall really, really good. Things looking really promising. Of course, the the pessimist in me knows that this could all go south next weekend, or as the week progresses, you know, we could not have a week. They could all get hurt. Americans always get hurt overseas. You never know. So, but other than that, it was really, really good for Richards to get that first appearance and, and get some minutes under his belt. So we're going to stick with Bayern Munich, but we're going to leave the American train and jump on to the Canadian wonder kid, Alfonso Davies. Uh, He didn't get any playing time this weekend because of suspension, but he did win Rookie of the Year in Bundesliga. So Connor, as a Canadian Alfonso Davies enthusiast, as I think we all are, we all love watching Alfonso Davies, what do you think him winning Rookie of the Year means for Canada soccer in general? Well, it just solidifies us as a world national talent development program uh he's the best player or best young player first year player in the bundesliga and that's not something you could ignore like 
next year. Maybe it'll continue if Jonathan David ends up uh, in, in the Bundesliga, which is where he wants to go. But just seeing Davies succeed at this level with a team like uh, Bayern Munich is just insane. It's something that I never thought would happen. Uh, something that most Canadians never thought would happen. And it's just great for the national team program. It's great for the national pride of Canada. It's great for Bayern Munich um, because they've found this kid who's found gold. And I think that's amazing. And it's not only good for Canada, but it's good for MLS. You know, this is this. You mentioned Chris Richards. He's a former MLS product as well. Um, Davies is a former uh, white cap uh, MLS product. And we're developing, or not, I shouldn't say we because I'm, we're not developing, but MLS is developing some seriously good talent. And it's becoming apparent with the way that players are playing, even after being sold, like Miguel Almiral, who had a great game over the weekend. Um, you guys want to dive into that a little bit? Because I know, Drew, you probably have some feelings about that, being a Newcastle fan. I had great feelings about it. Because Newcastle, they're kind of... They should be safe from relegation at this point. I mean, they're not winning the league. They're not doing anything special. And Sheffield is like that weird team. I don't even know what position they're in. But Sheffield's nothing to sneeze at, right? They had a pretty good year. Um, and the fact that Joe Ellington was the guy who scored it is just that even more incredible. It was like 300 and something games the guy has gone without scoring a goal. So to have Miggy set him up like that with a really good pass um, was awesome. It took him a while to get uh, to get the goal scoring started at Newcastle. But then once he got that first goal, I don't remember who it was against, but it was a late game winner after that. He just couldn't stop scoring there for a while. So he didn't get a goal this weekend, but it was a really good pass, I thought. Um, very Atlanta United, Almiron to Joseph Martinez-ish. I saw them do that about a million times for over those past two years. But yeah, that was awesome to see Newcastle get back on winning track. They have a pretty, they have a weird stretch. They're playing a bunch of relegation candidates, and then they play like Manchester City, Tottenham, and Liverpool. So anytime you get points, I know. They end the season with Liverpool at home, so I don't know if Liverpool is lifting the trophy in Newcastle or not. I don't know how that's going to work. But, yeah, Almiron played really good. It's awesome seeing him as an Atlanta fan, uh, just seeing another MLS export doing really well. So I was very happy to see him uh, produce for Newcastle. It was a really important win this weekend. Yeah, as that play was happening live, because I, I did catch that part of the game, he, uh, I, I can't remember, so Sheffield went down a man a few minutes before, and uh, Newcastle won the ball in midfield, and Miggy was just on the left wing all by himself, so much space, and in my mind, I was like, dude, pass the ball to Almiron, like, you need to get the ball out there. If they did, he worked his magic, and I figured he was either going to cut in and try to shoot, or like he did, set up a pass, and... He played a wonderful ball, and like you said, uh, Drew Joel Linton finally scored again. It's been it's been very long, disappointing for for New, Newcastle since they bought him with the intention of scoring goals like this year. They spent more money on him than they did Almiron, by the way, for the record. So that just goes to show broke. their I think record. He broke yeah. the team transfer fee. Yeah, jeez. Yep, and he hasn't really lived up to the hype like Almiron has. So. This is this has been a really good weekend for American players for MLS products and speaking of another American player if you listeners somehow missed it Christian Pulisic scored for Chelsea he did not start 
A lot of people were upset that Lampard chose not to start him. That being said, as soon as Pulisic came on, within 10 minutes, he scored the goal. And that was another fantastic play by him. In fact, a few minutes before that goal, a similar play happened. Someone crossed the ball into the box, and either the keeper got it or it went out of bounds just before Pulisic could get a touch. So almost the same exact play happened a few minutes later. Pulisic got his foot on the end of it for a wonderful finish. It was absolutely perfect. One time, off the underside of the bar, keeper did not stand a chance of getting to it. So really good for him, especially after he was dealing with his injuries before the pandemic hit. So for him to get back into the game, make an immediate impact, because with, I think, not even two minutes later, Giroud scored, and Chelsea went on to win. They were actually losing to Aston Villa, of all teams. But good for Pulisic. That should be really good for his confidence going forward the rest of the uh, the Premier League season. And, and so for him and, and all these other former MLS players, all these Americans, Canadians, North American players, really, really, really solid weekend. Yeah, I think there's always some debate on Twitter when – Pulisic doesn't start whether or not he should be starting and I for one am a very big fan of seeing him come off the bench and make that impact it has the feel that Lampard is just making him earn a spot and to see an American in that position where he's having to earn his playing time and one of the biggest clubs in the world is really good to see and not only is he earning that playing time but he's succeeding while he gets that playing time so yeah when he scored that goal Twitter went bonkers and I can't say I blame him that was really awesome to see him came on like the 55th minute and I think he scored like the 60 61st minute um so immediate impact but running really quickly over another Canadian youngster we always talk about Alfonso Davies but Jonathan David uh I don't think a lot of people know who this guy is Connor who is this guy and like where where does he play where is he going uh well we've talked a bit about him on the podcast in previous episodes but Jonathan David is like the second best Canadian youth talent that is out there right now he um plays for ghent in the belgian league right now but he's wanting a move um his preferred destination as i mentioned a little bit earlier is germany he thinks he fits the bundesliga style really well and he'll get good playing time and recently slash over the weekend sort of came out that borussia Mönchengladbach uh had submitted a 20 million 25 million dollar offer for him which Ghent ended up rejecting because they want 35. But the only team who can afford that is Bayern Munich. So there's a chance he could go to Bayern Munich. Uh, I believe they might have been in the conversation a little bit. But with them picking up Leroy Sané, who I think that's confirmed, sort of, this is happening, but we don't know the exact amount yet. Um, I think that might be in the question. He would have to challenge guys like uh, Thomas Müller, who had a great season this past year. So I don't know if he'll go to Dor- or not Dortmund, to Bayern, but look, he's somebody who you need to watch out for. He's currently in the consideration for the Golden Boy Award because he is like, he, I think he led the Belgian League in points and was like tied for the goals, uh, leading goals. So he's not someone who you can just push off as nothing. He's somebody who really knows how to play and you got to start giving him credit. He also isn't an MLS talent. He's a local soccer academy from in the Ottawa area, for those of you who know Canada. So it's another Canadian non-MLS-affiliated uh, talent that's gone to Europe and sort of succeeded. So 
Canada's coming, baby. It's going to be soon. They're going to think of Canadians before they think of American American young talent, hopefully, but I'm probably wishful thinking on that one. Hey, it's positivity. I honestly, I'm going to tell myself a little bit. I had no idea who that guy was until I saw you tweeting about him one day. So I am disappointed. Keep Keep doing it. I know. When, like, when I think of uh, Canadian players, right, you think of Alfonso Davies, but that is really cool that, unfortunately, not MLS talent, but it's still really awesome that another Canadian player um, is in Europe tearing it up. And that would be cool to see him go to Bayern Munich. You kind of have, like, this Canadian super team there dominating everyone else in Germany. Yeah, he could fit in really well there. He's got a ton of pace. Uh, I think he's pretty good on the ball. He can finish really well, clearly. So I'd love to see him on Bayern. I think Davies and him together would be a lot of fun, but I just don't know if there's a fit there just yet. Who knows? I think Munch and Gladbach could be really cool if they end up selling either Playa or Turam. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> those are the biggest names um, between Americans, Canadian players, and coaches uh, over in Europe. So as European soccer is getting back into it, so are North Americans, and it's really exciting. Like we said, um, it was a good weekend for North American players, and we have to we have to enjoy these because next weekend they may all get hurt in warm-ups again. So you got to enjoy the moments when you have them. But just as European soccer is coming back, like we talked about a lot lately, um, MLS is coming back, the MLS's back tournament, which I think a story in The Athletic came out about why they named it that. I haven't read it, but Josh mentioned it earlier. So if you want to understand why they named it that, go read that article. Um, but the schedules still haven't been released yet, but teams are planning – their arrivals to Orlando. Uh, I think the Earthquakes are the first team, will be the first team to report to Orlando on Wednesday. Orlando's going to follow on Thursday, and then everyone else is going to go to Orlando to get ready for the tournament. But there's a lot of concern around the tournament right now, um, about specifically about the state of Florida and the city of Orlando, um, as cases COVID-19 cases are jumping dramatically. Um, and as we saw today, it forced one club to cancel their participation in a tournament. So there's kind of some wondering about this tournament. Is it safe to put on? Should it happen or not? Um, so start off kind of easy. Guys, do you think it's in the best, it's in MLS's best interest to put this tournament on in Orlando? I think there are two ways to approach that question. Right, One way to approach the question is from the business standpoint, and that is that everything is about money and everybody's lost a lot of money because of the pandemic. We've talked about that numerous times. So from the business side of things, yes, MLS should go through with the tournament. From the humanity side of things, they probably shouldn't. Uh, the, the cases of the virus in Florida are reaching all-time highs. I believe yesterday was their highest day by far since the virus hit the U.S. Um, the, the, the bright side, the silver lining of that, I guess, is that in the Orlando area, it's not so bad. It's just been about a few hundred cases over the last couple of days. That being said, the, the staff working this tournament that aren't related to MLS, they don't have to stay in this quote-unquote bubble like the players and coaches and other club officials do. And that's obviously becoming a worry to the players that are leaving their families for a, a month and a half, two months, to play soccer 
which in the grand scheme of things is not the most important thing. So, of course, the players are a little worried with all these cases increasing and, and all the numbers going up. So I think from a humanity side of things, you know, no, the tournament shouldn't happen. But at the end of the day, it's the reality of this country, right? Because you look at Europe and despite how bad things got in places like Italy and Spain and even England, uh, they handled their business for the most part. They have gotten their numbers down. They have stopped the spread. They slowed the spread of the virus enough to bring sports back. And in New Zealand, they haven't even had a case in three weeks, and they have full stadiums. There's a funny tweet going around that says, uh, New Zealand is the country, they're the kid in the class that was rewarded with a pizza party for doing what they were supposed to do. Like, that's 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 what's happening in the world right now. They're the only country that, that stayed on top of it. And yeah, it's a smaller country, so it was probably easier to handle. But if if you take the necessary steps, any country can handle it. So, unfortunately for us, as Americans, and it's not so bad in Canada, but it affects Canada in this case, our country is run by petulant children masquerading as adults. And they want to just act like everything is fine. They want to pretend that this virus doesn't exist. And they don't want to deal with it properly. And so now we're stuck between... Is this league coming back? No, now it's not. One day it's one thing, one day it's another. You see MLBs having all sorts of issues. The NBA is now starting to feel uncertain. Drew, like you mentioned, a team today just pulled out of its tournament, which we'll get to in a little bit. That was in the Women's Soccer League. So unfortunately for us, the leaders in this country, they suck. They're terrible. They're not good at their jobs. And one one more thing, Connor, I know you want to say something, but what blows my mind is if you really think about it, all the owners of these sports franchises in the U.S., they're friends with politicians. They're, they're probably friends with all of the politicians to some extent. Why didn't they strong-arm the politicians into taking care of the virus? Why didn't they say, you know, you want the economy to come back? You want sports to come back? Well, then take care of this. Make sure testing is proper. Make sure people are wearing masks. Make sure people are socially distancing, quarantining like they're supposed to. But no, instead... These billionaire owners, they didn't do anything about it. They let the government try to do it on their own. They've shown that they're incapable of that. And now the owners are forcing their own employees to put themselves in harm's way to get the owner's money back in their pockets. So unfortunately, it's the reality of this country that we probably shouldn't be playing sports, but people are going to force it anyway. And it's it's sad and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. What do you got to say? I about was just going to say this is going to be a hard pivot away from politics. Um, but back to your initial question, Drew, I think it's a case of yes, they should have a tournament, but no, they shouldn't do it in Orlando. I think that they're in a good position in other parts of the country. When you look at New York, uh, or I think California is getting a little better or even Canada, uh, Toronto, it was one of the last few places in Ontario that hadn't gone to phase two yet. And it was announced today that we're going into phase two, which means we can open up patios on restaurants and get haircuts and stuff. And three Canadian cities are currently in the running for potential NHL hub cities. I know I constantly bring this back to hockey, but they're in a very similar position right now. You know, them, the NBA, NBA, not so much because the NBA is on a level of its own, 
But the NHL and MLS, they're sort of in an even playing field when you look at viewership and popularity, especially in the U.S. Uh, in Canada, it's obviously NHL is way above the MLS, but that's another conversation for another day, for another day. I think what needs to happen is MLS needs to reevaluate the decision to host this tournament in Orlando. I think they have a good idea of what they want to do, but I worry about the feasibility of that. I worry about the potential players like, I probably shouldn't bring this up, but Bill Hamid, who tweeted a couple weeks ago that he didn't want to be trapped on the campus. I look at people like that who may not be taking this as seriously as they should and sneak off campus and get the virus and could potentially kill. I, I know this is hard, tough to say, but kill coaches or people who have health issues. Like, I think doing it in a place where the cases aren't spiking with 4,600 in a day like it was yesterday, I just don't think that's feasible at this point. I think that moving it to a place like maybe not Toronto because we might get an NHL game or the NHL hub city, but a place like Montreal, even though Quebec has struggled a little bit or taking it to New York, if they'd allow it, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be in New York, New York. It could be Buffalo. It could be anywhere, but I think doing it in Orlando might be a mistake because I'm not sure how thick, I guess that works how thick the layer is going to be between the MLS bubble and the rest of Orlando society. That's what I really worry about in this situation. And that's what I think MLS really, really needs to consider about whether or not they actually want to put this tournament on. Right. Yeah. I think you make a, you bring a really interesting point about different cities experiencing different uh, spikes in it. And I think I saw a map where Illinois, the state of Illinois was, um, one of the biggest decreases in virus that really brought to my attention, maybe playing this thing in Chicago. Um, but again, that's a lot. And Connor, you mentioned a lot about moving it around and obviously it's in Orlando, um, ESPN, Disney and all that jazz. And it's hard to say exactly what would happen because we'll never know what would happen. But do you think if the, if it wasn't ESPN, if it wasn't Disney, if it wasn't all that, would it be more likely that the tournament be moved somewhere else on this short notice? I you know I think we also have to look back and and Florida was one of the first um, states to open to start opening businesses and things right so once they became one of those first states then MLS the league was like well if they're going to be the first state to open or one of the first states then that that kind of limits their options right now that it's been a few weeks since the plan has been put into place and since they started brainstorming the plan yeah you can look and say hey New York looks like a good option. Illinois looks like a good option. But that's like the benefit of hindsight. I would say it's almost too late for them to switch up because we're, what, 16 days away from MLS coming back in that first game on July 8th. So, yeah, it kind of feels like it's just a little too late to switch, and it's just unfortunate. It's it's the timing of things that it's really come down to to hinder that Personally, I think the league should do its due diligence and, and search for other options, but I also understand that, that they don't have the time and the manpower to do something like that on such short notice. So that's that's my take on that. 
Yeah, I think what we really need to look at is how solid is MLS's contingency plans? How solid is the bubble going to be, as I mentioned? Because if you can keep people out, there's no reason they couldn't host that tournament in Orlando. Uh, If you are able to keep these players safe, there's no reason. It's just, can you keep them safe? Do you have the facilities and do you have the means to keep them safe? I think in a case like the NBA, I think they definitely do because that's an organization that's worth billions. Whereas an organization like MLS, who's, I don't know, like half the size, if and we're probably probably being generous in this situation of the NBA, I don't know if they have the means to do that. And that's what really worries me about the feasibility of doing this. Drew, you haven't really mentioned what you think of this plan so far. I'm going to throw the two questions that you asked us back at you. Um, do you think that they should host the tournament in Orlando? like, do you, Or do you think they should move it? And do you think it's feasible to actually host this tournament, period? And I really like the way Josh worded it and kind of broke it up into two questions morally um, from a business perspective. And I think I'll agree on that on a business perspective you have to have this tournament i can't even imagine what all will go into if you if tomorrow morning we were to wake up to a pr statement from mls saying tournaments canceled or pushing it to september or whatever i can't imagine what that'll do to tv deals um what that'll do to player contracts if players would still play in the tournament um mls is kind of reaping the benefits of other leagues being canceled right now like with leandro gonzalez perez uh previously played for atlanta um, was in Liga Emekis that season's canceled so now he's coming to MLS uh, reportedly with Inter Miami so if MLS were to cancel this tournament um, what happens with that what happens with player transfers would players be more inclined to leave to go to South America to go back to Mexico or to go to Europe somewhere so from a business perspective you have to have this tournament um, from TV deals from player contracts um, and specifically about it being in Orlando, I think, like I said, I would be a very big fan of having this tournament in Chicago. I think it's a big enough city to pull it off for sure. Um, in the state of Illinois, seeing pretty big decreases. So congrats to that state. Good state. Um, but again, I don't know how quickly Major League Soccer can just pick up everything and move it to Chicago. Um, you'd have teams changing flights. You'd have cameras being moved all around the country so I think it's unfortunate and Josh worded it really well that we kind of have hindsight here that no one at the time no one knew that Florida was going to go through this ridiculous spike in cases and now it's like oh what are you doing you pick the one state you shouldn't play at Um, so that's my take I don't think you can move it I think from business you have to but that's just my take on it I just want to say to your to your thing about florida and the benefit of hindsight um it is worth noting that florida you know they went pretty gung-ho with the reopening everything so i think there are a lot of people that kind of saw this coming in terms of the cases spiking you know it's like wow who would have guessed that the state that opened its beaches and all of its businesses like full throttle was gonna run into all these issues of, of numbers going back up you know so it's like one of those deals where common sense wasn't quite used I think another hurdle that we didn't really talk about between the three of us that I'm just not thinking of is also the infrastructure. I did the Disney Wide World of Sports has the infrastructure in place to play tons of games in a very centralized location in addition to living in a very centralized location. You know, how many 
places can you think of off the top of your head that have ample hotel space and ample fields, right? There are probably a couple. Connor, it looks like you've got one. Okay, in Canada, it looks like. But, you know, off the top of my head, there aren't many of those situations where I can just be like, oh, yeah, for sure, like this would work. Because, you know, using Atlanta as an example, they have the fields at their training grounds. But in that area of Marietta, which is where the training ground is, there's definitely not tons of hotel options right next to the training ground. There are some hotels, but not enough to have all of those players and staff. And it looks like the players are each going to have their own hotel rooms as part of the handling, uh, stopping spread, and, and staying isolated. And there's no way they'd be, be able to pull that off anywhere in Georgia that I can think of. Connor, where's your spot? Is it, is it in Canada? I think Toronto could do it. Like I know that this is probably a very biased opinion, but <laughs> we've got a ton of hotels here. Um Toronto has a ton of different soccer fields. You know, they could go to Dansby Park if you're familiar with Toronto. Or they could go to Cherry Beach, which is Toronto FC's old training ground. And BMO Field is pretty much, like, in the middle of nowhere. There isn't that much near it. Uh, and there's a hotel that's legitimately, you could throw a baseball to the stadium from it. Um, if you don't want to do that, you could use the Rogers Center as well, which is Toronto's baseball stadium. Uh, I know that we don't really like using baseball stadiums for soccer fields, but <laughs> if you want to use it as a training pitch, it's an option. Uh, and there's a hotel that's literally, like, baseballs actually hit the windows of hotel rooms. So that's a thing if you want to do that. We might be an NHL hub city, which could be an issue depending on how big that's going to be. But we do have the infrastructure here. I guarantee you there are other places in North America who could do it. Uh, California, I'd assume, could in some sort of place. Uh, I have a feeling that Montreal might be able to, as I mentioned, or Vancouver, but I'm not sure how huge that would be. You have other cities in Canada if you don't want to do that. I know, as I mentioned earlier, Edmonton, uh, which is trying to be an NHL hub city, is pushing really hard to be a hub city for a sport. And if you're okay with going to a non-MLS affiliated city, it's always an option. They're in the middle of the prairie, so I'm sure you could find or build a ton of fields pretty easily. Um, so, yeah, I do want to ask you guys this one question, though, because we have focused on the business and the um, moral aspect of this. Do you actually think it's safe to put this tournament on for the players? Because obviously they're not going to be that affected by we assume they're not going to be that affected by COVID because they are athletic, they're younger, they're in incredible, incredible shape. Do you think it's safe for them? And then do you think that it's safe for the rest of MLS? Because we do focus on the players a lot and we don't really focus on the fact that we, they do have to send trainers, they do have to send coaches, they have to send referees, they have to send a ton of other people. So do you think that it's safe at this point to put this tournament on? Or do you think this is too much risk involved to threaten the lives of these people? Yeah, I think it's dangerous for the players. And as you were mentioning, Connor, you've got to think about the staff and trainers. I've already seen some people point out that Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley, coaches like that, they're in the high-risk age range for this virus. So... It's, it's dangerous to coaches like that. And, 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 you know, I think in general, the public 
all over the world has been sort of tricked into believing that if you're a young, healthy person, that you're less at risk. But I think what it really comes down to is it's just a case-by-case situation. It's almost as if you don't know if you as a healthy 20-something or a healthy 30-something, you don't know if it's going to hit you hard. You don't know if you're going to be asymptomatic if you do contract the virus. And I think that's I mean, if you really look at that objectively, that's too much of a risk to subject yourself to. But, I, yeah, I think it's just I, – I don't think it's good for the players on, on the face of it. Now, the selfish part of me that is a soccer fan, I want, I want to see them play games. I want to see MLS back because it's so much fun to watch, especially the teams that I – you know, I know most of the teams very well compared to all these other leagues around the world, but – yeah, you know, I think it's risky. I think it's it's just not good for for the players. And, you know, God forbid someone like we were talking about last week, Jordan Morris, who's a diabetic, you know, he's got this pre-existing condition. You know, what happens if he catches it? And and he's just just cannot handle the virus. And, well, you know, what if it wrecks someone's career? I think I've seen some places I didn't follow up to make sure if it was 100% correct. So I don't really want to, to put out misinformation, but seen some things where where people have lasting lung damage. Think about how much that hinders you as a soccer player, where literally all you do is run. Soccer is disguised running. That's all it is. As a player, you barely touch the ball as an individual. You're really just running for two hours. So if, if this virus is affecting players' lungs, then think about the long-lasting effects of that. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point with the potential impacts after the tournament, right? Because we think of so many players that, oh, they hurt their knee and they came back and they were never the same. And because we've never seen anything like this in sports, I don't think anyone's taking into consideration that, oh, he caught the virus and he was just never the same, if he's able to come back at all, which is a different thing. But I I think where my biggest question comes in is the staff um, because, and not essentially just managers, which Josh touched on, but like the athletic trainers. Um, I don't know how much like team media people are going to be there, like if teams will be able to send social media crews or whatever. Um, but people that just work for the team that we don't really think of, that is what my biggest question is around because you think of players who have the option or not to participate in this tournament and I don't know if organizations are giving their athletic trainers or something the options so it feels very much that they're kind of just being forced to go into these pretty scary conditions just to make a paycheck and uh, keep a roof over their head and food on the table so that is my biggest question I don't it's less than ideal for sure Um, saying it's not safe or is safe I mean that depends on how you define safe, but it's definitely a lot of risk um, for players. And Josh did that really well. That it kind of you just don't know how your body's going to take this virus. So, but my biggest question goes around the staff that we don't see um, because all it takes is one athletic trainer to catch it, not show any symptoms, um, and then from there it can explode into something much bigger than anyone ever thought of. So I. It's for sure less than ideal. I don't. I think I'm. I would. I wouldn't call it safe either. Um, about putting it on safe for the players, uh, coaches. I didn't know that about Bruce Arena um, and Bradley. So that's not what you want for sure. And I don't know if there's any other coaches like that, but that's something you have to consider. 
Um, and if you have athletic trainers that are in that age group where the virus could really do a lot of damage as well. So I think I, I wouldn't call it safe either. I tend to disagree. I think I have a lot of faith in MLS and I have faith in what they are able to do. And I think that if there is enough communication and if MLS makes the rules strict enough, which I think that they can do, I think that it can be safe. I think that if you, they do isolate, and I assume that they will, I don't know necessarily how strict it is. I'll need to see the actual plan, which I believe is supposed to come up like this week or in the coming couple days uh, about their whole health, health rules and all the rules about being on the campus and all that stuff. I have faith in them, and I think that they could do it safely. Whether they will do it safely is another conversation. Who knows? We could have an NWSL situation where a player breaks the rules, goes to a bar, and spreads it to six of her teammates and four staff members. And that's an issue. Which brings us on to the NWSL, if you couldn't tell where I was going with this. Um, NWSL updates. We sort of assumed that we'd get rosters today, and then the Orlando Pride just blew that up in our faces. Um, It was announced sort of, kind of. I don't know if this is actual information or if this was retracted by the team, but as I mentioned, six players and four staff members were reported to have COVID-19, so they pulled out of the NWSL tournament this weekend, which is nuts. Um, I didn't see that happening. I am shocked it happened. Where do you guys stand on this? Yeah, when I first saw the the news break on Twitter, I kind of thought it was a joke. I just could not believe that an entire team was not going. Granted, once the information came out about how many players tested positive, how many staff tested positive, it it really left them with no option but to not go to the tournament. So for me, I was just completely shocked. That was that was definitely my initial reaction. What about you, Drew? Yeah, same boat. I was just hanging out. I don't even remember what I was doing. But then I heard like that dreaded slack noise on my computer. And it was Josh saying that the pride just dipped out of the tournament. And like you, I thought it was a joke because let's be real, the pride aren't the best team in the world. So I thought it was like nutmeg news or something saying like the pride left the tournament but it was real um it was crazy like josh said i think when you look at the nwsl rules and the numbers of people that were affected that they had no choice um they wouldn't be able to send enough people to compete in the tournament so like connor said i mean it just took that one person um breaking the protocols uh and being allowed to do so by their state government and from there uh, it took a team's opportunity a lot of really good players took their chance away of competing in this competition so it was surprising um that's i think that's the last thing i thought of when this tournament was announced that a team would just leave at once because a player made one mistake so how does this affect your guys's outlook on the tournament because i know how it affects mine i've got i got some some feelings about it what what about we'll start with you connor what does this change, you know, your perception of the tournament going into it? Because we're only what five days away before the first game. So, what, what were your thoughts going into the tournament now? I was already skeptical with the rumors that there were 
U.S. women's national team players, or in other words, the best players in NWSL who are not going to go. And the fact that an entire team's now pulled out, it's really diminished what I've thought of the tournament. And I can only see this going one direction, and it's not upwards. So, yeah, I'm not entirely optimistic about this thing. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who thinks like this. But, look, at this point, you just lost an entire team with one of the best players on the planet in Marta. How do you recover from that? Especially when you're going to be missing a bunch of players who we'll get into later. Drew, what are your thoughts on it as, as someone who follows the league a lot more closely? Um, yeah, it, like I said, I mean, the Pride aren't the best team in the world. Uh, for starters, I think they were favorites to finish dead last in the regular season. So it's not like you're losing championship contenders. But... It is interesting. I mean, I think it's hard to take this tournament the same as you would take a normal 2020 NWSL season. But And I don't think this Challenge Cup is supposed to replace a regular season. It's just something to keep the ball rolling, to keep women's soccer um, at the forefront of people's minds. A lot of stuff is going into this season, getting on CBS, getting on Twitch, expansion next year. So I think this is more so just trying to limit that bump in the road as much as possible. And like I said, um, the Pride, I didn't pick the Pride to win it all by any means. I don't think anyone picked them to do well. Um, They're already missing Alex Morgan because of uh, she just had her child. And then there are always questions about who's reporting, who's choosing not to report. So it doesn't take too much away from the tournament for me just because they weren't championship contenders. Um, But like you said, Marta, I mean, anytime she's on, people are going to want to watch her, Brazilian legend. Um, and just because they carry that Alex Morgan weight right, people know about the pride because of Alex Morgan, whether she's there or not. So that's going to kind of trick people into watching their games because they think they're going to get Alex Morgan, and they're not. They're just going to get the pride. Um, so it doesn't do too much. I mean, it definitely isn't a positive, like Connor said. Uh, but the good news is is that this sounds very much like just an Orlando thing, not a league-wide thing. Um and when news first broke, it was very a lot of craziness going on. No one knew what to expect. And the news later broke that it was because a player um, broke protocol and went to a bar, and that kind of changed the mood from it's a league-wide issue to just one player on one team uh, did something that they weren't supposed to do. So that's something to take away. I'm a positive to take away from the situation that it feels very much like one team is having this issue because of one player's choices. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Connor said, there's nothing, it doesn't help the tournament's cause by any means, but because the Pride weren't a championship contender, it doesn't do a whole lot for me. So for me, I'm really bummed about this news. I have not followed the NWSL very closely in the past. We've talked about it in a previous podcast, but since Atlanta doesn't have a team, I haven't really found myself watching much of the games. Now, Last summer, I followed the Women's World Cup very closely, uh, partially because it's it's very easy to watch the U.S. women play because they're so good. Uh, But watching that tournament with a a newfound perspective on soccer in general really got me hooked. It was fun to watch players like Tobin Heath try to meg every single player on the field. It was fun to watch someone like Megan Rapinoe use that platform to to launch into a a global topic and and now into this huge debate with the soccer federation. 
And so this tournament also gives another opportunity to see those players. Unfortunately, it's not really the case with some of the bigger uh, women's national team stars. But putting that aside, you know, now I, as someone who hasn't followed the league closely, this was going to be a really good opportunity for me to devote a month of my time watching these games, seeing the whole league in action. And now that has been taken away from me as a, a me, a potential fan. I'm not going to get to see the pride, even if they were going to be the worst of the nine teams. That's still however many dozens of players that I'm not going to be exposed to that I'm not going to get to watch, that I'm not going to want to research as I'm watching these games. And, you know, and that's really unfortunate for the league, and it, it bums me out. You know, Like you said, Drew, the, the bonus is that it's just an Orlando thing, but at the same time, it, it still sucks because that is a ninth of your league that's not participating. And I think that also kind of tarnishes the legitimacy of this tournament as well. Again, even if they're the worst team, how do you know they weren't going to make it into the the final eight, into the knockout round? How do you know they weren't going to advance even further in the tournament? And we will never find out now that the entire team is not traveling. So, uh, for me, it's it, it 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 makes me a little less excited. I'm still really excited because it's soccer. It's it's North American soccer that I get to watch, and so I'm I'm still definitely going to tune in. But to have a team just taken away is is a big bummer. One thing I do want to circle back to, and Drew, you mentioned it super briefly, but it all it also came out today uh, via some reports that the league is really just treating this as its season. And this is huge because while MLS is doing its tournament, their goal is to finish in the home markets later in the season, which we've talked about, I think, on last week's podcast. So for them to just straight up say, you know, hey, this is it, that also adds to the fact that it's a big deal that a whole team is not even participating this year. And for some of their players, that means they won't get to play soccer with their club until 2021. And for some of their really star-studded players, like Alex Morgan, who just had a child, she's going to go two years without playing for Orlando because I don't even think she played for the team when she came back from the tournament because of injuries and whatnot and rest from the World Cup last summer. And then also one of the bigger stars on the team is Sydney Dwyer. She had her child back in 2018, didn't see the field in 2019, won't see the field this summer, so she's going to have to go three years without playing for her club. So it's really, really unfortunate that not only is this tournament their only season, but now that team doesn't get to participate. Uh, Do you guys have any thoughts about the league deciding to just have this tournament as a season? Um, Yeah, I don't think – I wasn't surprised. I mean, I think I've said in previous podcasts when referring to MLS that – I'm still kind of pessimistic when it comes to returning in home markets. Um, And I think it was Stephen Goff with the Washington Post, I believe, reported it that if the NWSL were to continue on with a quote-unquote normal season after the Challenge Cup, uh, they would need to open the stadium to fans to have that revenue flowing in. And the way things are going right now, I really don't see fans coming to sports in 2020. So it wasn't too much of a surprise. I think I was already treating this as the 2020 season. And like Josh said, it's hard to take it seriously, but it's just something to watch. Um, Sponsors take it and just more money to make to keep the ball rolling. So I wasn't I wasn't too surprised that this is their season. Um, it is disappointing that teams won't be able to play in front of their home fans. 
Um, Because something that's been super encouraging seeing on social media is that team season ticket holders are sticking with the team. They're renewing season tickets um, and they're keeping supporting their club so that that team still has money flowing in. So it is disappointing that you won't have, you know, the Washington Spirit playing in front of their home fans, Sky Blue, and you won't have the Portland Thorns playing in front of 25,000 in the Providence Park. That's like one of the best parts of the NWSL is seeing that city go crazy for their team. So that is really disappointing. But I... I wasn't surprised too much about it. Uh, Connor, what did you make of them seemingly almost ruling out coming back after this tournament? I wasn't surprised. I think that's the right decision, ultimately. I think it's too much of a risk, I guess, to try and do a regular season afterwards. I think it's a bit more realistic for a team like or a league like the NWSL who only have teams in the States. But, again, you're playing with people's health right here. And you're playing with their livelihoods and family life. And it's not a risk that I think that they should be taking. And I don't know. I There's not really much to say about it other than the fact that, no, I'm not really surprised. I think it's the right decision. I think MLS is a little too optimistic in terms of doing games after the tournament's over especially with how the whole Florida situation's played out and how other places in the United States have played out, cough, cough, Arizona. So, yeah, I'm not surprised. Josh, where do you stand on all this? Yeah, I mean, I'm with both of you guys. I I, I personally was surprised because I don't think the league had said either way at any point, or I don't think anybody had reported whether or not there was going to be a rest of the season. Um but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, this is still a really new league, a growing league. We've seen MLS be really cautious financially. I mean, this is why they still have the salary crap. It's why there's not a lot of money thrown around on its players because there have been so many failed North American leagues. There have been plenty of failed women's soccer leagues. So it sounds like they're doing the most financially responsible thing for the league in the long term. So from that perspective and with that regard like this sounds like it's the best decision um again it's kind of a blow on top of what we were talking about earlier with a few of the women's national team players missing i think right now there are four mega stars confirmed to not be playing we've already talked about alex morgan who wasn't going to play anyway but now can't because her team isn't going um megan rapino probably the the most recognizable name she is not going to be playing uh, Kristen Press also not playing. Carly Lloyd, the news broke a couple days ago that she will not be playing, supposedly because of a, a knee injury. That, that was the reason given. Although, even if she was healthy, I'm not even sure if she would risk partaking in the tournament. Kind of seems like those those bigger named, uh, bigger name women's stars, women's national team stars, I should say, they, they've been really cautious about the tournament from the get-go. So that's been confirmed, those four. Definitely not going to play. But uh, all in all, I think it's the best decision for them to just go with the tournament. Hopefully it's successful. Uh, We've talked about how they'll be the first uh, North American League back, which is really great. They just need to capitalize on that going forward, I think. Um, And speaking of that, this podcast in general has been kind of negative with all the... the, It's just been sort of a bad day in general, I think, sports-wise. And we didn't even really talk about how the MLB is is messing things up. But um, (laughs) we're going to do like some slight predictions, some like very brief. Uh, I'll start with mine. 
I'm going to be really smart with who I think is going to win this tournament. I'm going to pick the North Carolina Courage. That being said, I'm going to cheer for the Portland Thorns. We talked about that, uh, I think, two weeks ago because they have the coolest jerseys in the game. But um, North Carolina Courage have just been really good the last couple years. And I think what you see in World Cups where the teams with the best talent always rise to the top regardless, we're going to get that in both this NWSL tournament and also in the MLS's back tournament. So I'm going to go with the Courage. Uh, what do you got, Connor? Who, who do you think? Uh, I just wanted to go before uh, Drew went because he's actually knowledgeable about this, and I didn't want to be influenced by him. So I'm going to pick the Washington Spirit simply because we had Aubrey Bledsoe on the podcast, which if you haven't seen it or heard it, go back, listen to the podcast. Check it out. It was a great podcast. Drew did a great interview. Drew, who is your actually educated opinion on who will win this tournament? I'm actually very annoyed at both of you because when Josh said the North Carolina Courage, he's he's dead on. They're going to win it all. They're so freaking good. And they're like, I don't think anyone has reported that they're not coming to the tournament. So they were already good. And now no, everyone's showing up and it's going to be ridiculous. So I think the Courage are going to win. But I think Connor is making a very smart pick. I think everyone's sleeping on the spirit. Um, women's soccer hot take of the day. Rose Lavelle is the best player in the world. And... She, her and Andy Sullivan are going to tear up the league. Uh, Arby Bledsoe is one of the best goalies in the world. So I think the Spirit are going to surprise some people. Uh, but yeah, I'm picking the Courage to win it all just because they're not going through a whole lot of changes um, in this little short and little month-long tournament. I think coaching changes, roster overhauls are going to become very apparent. Um, and it's unfortunate when you have teams that are young and building. I think of Sky Blue FC, who are making a huge turnaround. We're not going to be able to see them for a full season because I think they would get better throughout the year. Um, so I think already having a winning culture, having the same head coach, and having your stars return, I think that's a really big advantage for the Courage. Um, Justin McDonald, Lynn Williams, Dabinia, Sam Mewis, like we haven't seen anything about them not reporting. So I think the Courage are going to win it. Uh, I think the Spirit are going to make a pretty good run at it. I'm excited to see Chicago. Um, I disagree with Josh. I think the Chicago Red Stars have the best jerseys in the game, but Portland's not far behind. So I, you both good picks. Um, I kind of want to see the Spirit win it just to have something different. Um, and maybe we can have Aubrey on another podcast about winning the Challenge Cup. That'd be cool. But I, I'm picking the courage, but I think the spirit are going to make a run at it for Who sure. Who would have thought that trying to plug a podcast would actually turn out positively for me? Um, but I guess quickly before we end, because we've been going for 58 minutes, uh, let's hit the Portland uh, Timbers. There are rumors uh, in the FIFA tri- not tribute, uh, trailer. Uh, that came out during the PlayStation 5 event, that the Portland Stadium or Portland fans appeared in the trailer. And there are rumors that Portland Stadium will be added to FIFA 20. So keep your eyes out for that. They'll join BC Place, um, Atlanta, I think it's Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and one other stadium, which I'm blanking on. Do either of you know it? Red Bull Arena. The, the New Jersey Harrison and CenturyLink, right? And CenturyLink. Sounders in there, yeah, yeah. Yeah, LA Galaxy, Dignity Health Sport Park, whatever the heck it's called now. That's another one. Which, by the way, 
Just want to point out, FIFA's been a little lazy on the MLS stadiums because all they had to do for CenturyLink and Atlanta was pull from Madden games because they're the same stadiums. So kind of lame that they only add one MLS stadium every year when those two years they could have probably just like... I'm no I'm no computer coder, but I feel like you could just copy and paste the computer code for those video games. <laughs> I think the studio, a big EA studio, is in Vancouver. So the Whitecaps kind of got a cheat code there. And, like, it's not like you have to travel. Like, Portland's right. I mean, it's not right there, but it's pretty dang close. If you can get, you know, European stadiums, why can't you get Portland and Houston? So I'm with Josh on it. It's kind of annoying. Now that I think about it, they might as well throw Yankee Stadium in there, too. They've probably got that from their MLB. Just use the show, yeah. Exactly. Just take that in there, throw some soccer lines on there. Please, please, no. We're already not taken seriously (laughs) enough. Oh, man. That'd be actually very realistic. Let's not add Yankee Stadium. Very realistic, though. If I was trying to get friends into soccer, I would just try to play them in FIFA, and I would only pick that stadium. And I would have them ask me questions the whole time, be like, is this a baseball stadium? Why does everything look so weird? And it would have just be hilarious. Have the ball, like, hit second base randomly and make a weird bounce. <laughs> when you kick it over the wall, like, the home run thing goes on, and they sing the seventh inning stretch. Stadium's half the size of a normal, or a field, not stadium, field's half the size of a normal field. That'd be great in FIFA with the current meta that currently <laughs> exists in that great great game um but yeah unless we have anything else we need to add that we completely forgot to say during the podcast i guess i'll take the outro on this one i'll steal your job drew for the first one ever um check us out all on twitter uh why don't we go around instead and get our actual voices uh josh what's your twitter my twitter is just josh underscore boland how do you spell it J-O-S-H. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Boland is spelled B-O-U-L-A-N-D. Drew? Uh, I found that way too funny. That was weird, but good one, Josh. Uh, Mine is at underscore Drew Hubbard, H-U-B-B-A-R-D. All right, and you can check me out on Twitter at C-W-G Somerville, which is spelled C-W-G-S-O-M-E-R-V-I-L-L-E. Check out all the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. If you could recognize that voice, yes, I'll do the intro or intro and outro. Uh, check out all our written work. We've got a ton of cool stuff coming out, especially with the tournament, maybe, possibly, hopefully, starting up real soon. We'll be back next week with a new podcast. Look out for in the future, maybe next week, maybe two weeks from now, of a prediction on who we think will do well in the MLS tournament. So look forward to that. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.